Welcome to the Mystic Access Podcast, where the magic is in learning. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the March 23rd episode of the Mystic Access Podcast. She's Kim. He's Chris. And we have quite a few things to talk about, plus a castle segment, so bear with us. Absolutely. The first thing we want to do is tell you a really couple timely announcements that you need to know about right away. So if you're listening to this later and not essentially the day of the podcast release, you may have missed them. But we want to make sure you know about them and that way you can participate if you wish to. The first thing is a question and answers session on the Evo E10 Daisy Media Player. So we're going to get together with Kim, myself, and Barry of Guidelights and Gadgets, and we're going to answer your questions. Now, this will not be recorded, Nope. so don't look for it in the downloads. It's just come one, come all. We're just going to have an open chat and answer questions, if we know them, about the Evo player. And some of you that have your Evo players and you can come in and, you know, talk about your experiences as well. So that's just what we're going to do this time. Absolutely. We want you guys to know, because we understand that this is a considered purchase, kind of what you're going to be getting and what its limitations are, what its advantages are, what its features are, and learn from us, but also, as Chris just said, from others who already own their Evos as well. So we think this will be a useful session for you guys. This takes place Wednesday, March 24th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So that makes it easy for those of you who normally come to our events at 8.30. This is also an 8.30 Eastern event, and it'll last about an hour. And the next one is our class on browser extensions, and that will be the following day on the 25th at 8.30 p.m. So we talk about what is a browser extension, why would you want one, why do you care, how do you install them, And most of all, how do you configure them? Sometimes you install a browser extension and you just let it do its thing. There's this one browser extension, for example, that Kim and I both use. It's a sounds extension and it has a scrolling sound that's kind of... Crazy making. (laughs) Well, it can be. It depends on how busy your site is. If it's a not busy site, it's handy because you know when the page scrolls like a modal dialogue opens. But if it's on a site that, for example, has busy ads and stuff, it could really drive you nuts. So you might want to turn that specific sound off, and you can do that with this add-on. And if you're not sure what the heck is a browser extension, we'll be explaining all that. Basically, they can enhance your usage of your favorite internet browser. So this isn't about Edge extensions or Firefox extensions or anything like that. This is about extensions many of which you can use on multiple browsers. So, for instance, our sound extension thing that Chris was just talking about, that's available for a bunch of different browsers. Yes, you can do it on Edge, Brave, Chrome, basically all of the Chromium-based browsers. Firefox is its own little animal, and sometimes those extensions are going to be different or they may be discontinued or what have you, but it's just an option to talk about it's absolutely an option and we'll talk a little bit about how they vary for instance firefox and the chromium versions how you install them on those because they do differ a smidge but it's going to be a fun class there's a lot to discuss and again like with our evo class if you have favorite browser extensions that you enjoy using bring them bring them to class let them let us know about them and i bet you can find other participants who will enjoy hearing about the extensions that you like and use as well. There's all kinds of stuff. I have a moon phase one on Edge that I really like. There are some for weather. There's one that I have that will stop autoplay on YouTube vids. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a ton of different things. So we can talk about these and just have a nice discussion. And at the end, as we've started doing with our classes, we'll open these up for you. And as long as you guys can keep proper netiquette, which most of you are really awesome at, then we can just open this up and have a really nice party and discussion after class. So we really enjoy that part. We really enjoy interacting with you guys. Speaking of classes, every month we have been generating a new link, a new meeting ID, a new password for our monthly events, which are usually the last Thursday of the month, which they've been for quite some time. So I think what we're going to do this time is going to make a generic meeting ID that's going to be used for 
our monthly events. So that meeting ID and password won't change. So there's no point in you having to go to a new meeting ID that we're only gonna use once for something that's going to reoccur. So that's what we're gonna do starting in April. That meeting ID that we have and that password that we have will move forward through the remainder of our monthly events. That's what it will be. And that's just going to make it easy for you. So if you don't attend a lot of Zoom events and you like to come in through your Zoom history, you can do that. You can type in the password and you'll be good to go. So that's just going to make it easier for you guys. It's going to make it, frankly, a little easier for us. And it's just going to be very convenient. So remember, this doesn't start with this March browser extensions class, but it will begin for the April class, whatever that turns out to be. Now let's move away from classes for a second. And I want to mention the 1Password audio documentation. We have a really cool thing to tell you guys. We do. The first thing we're going to tell you is it has been pushed back a little bit. Well, that's not cool, but you know. It has. And, you know, things have been happening here that are above and beyond our control. Yeah, we had a delayed project. We've just got multiple things that have been going on. Some of this stuff, as Chris said, we just can't control, unfortunately. And we're really sorry it's inconveniencing you guys, but we want to make sure you get the best information you can get. And we need time to make that happen. The advantage of waiting, though, if we would have put this out at the end of February, like we had originally planned, we wouldn't have the partnership, and yes, I said partnership, with 1Password. So what's going to happen is when the 1Password audio documentation is released, all customers that have either pre-ordered or purchased it after the pre-order will receive in their email a custom link that will allow them to create a 1Password account and you will get six months free of your 1Password account. So normally what 1Password does is they will give you a 30-day trial of your 1Password to find out if it's for you. But with this special offer, they will be extending that five extra months, which is really, really cool. And we would like to thank whomever it was, or the majority of whomever's it was, that had contacted 1Password and told them about us creating this documentation because they looked at us, they love what we do, they contacted us and wanted to be a partner with us. So we have our own dedicated 1Password persons that we can go to should we have any questions while creating the documentation. And the neat thing is they want to see it when it's done. So they really want to pass it along internally for them to see how this works. They make it accessible. However, they may not know how people would use it accessibly, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And what happens for anyone who already has one password? The way I understand it, the link won't work. It is a link that specifically creates a new account. Okay. So if you already have it, this won't help you. But if you're brand new, this will be awesome for you. But this is so cool. We were not expecting this. I remember seeing this email pop in and I started reading. I'm like, uh, you might want to go check your mail. <laughs> and it was just a delightful thing to read about and find out how these people were really appreciating what we were doing. So it's really cool when this kind of thing happens. Yes. And again, it was because of you guys. Yep. Thank you. guys. That made this happen for everybody else. Yeah. Sometimes it's amazing what saying the right thing to the right person will bring about. So thank you. This is great. We're really happy we can pass this on and share with the 1Password team as well about screen reader accessibility and how it actually looks in real time. So again, when is this coming out now? Tentatively, May 3rd. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So we shall cross our fingers and hope that the stars align to make it work this time. And of course, if that changes, we will certainly let you all know because this will be a pretty big project for Chris and he has to help me with another project in between then. So we'll see how this works. And there's no pressure that the 1Password folks actually want to see it. Yeah, right. No pressure at all. No. So let's talk a little bit about food. Food! (laughs) We've talked a lot about food in our very short last podcast. We discussed the fact that Chris had received his Freshly delivery. And he actually popped one into the microwave and was enjoying it and checking it out. Well, you had this experience with your Freshly where the first week you were kind of like, hmm, hello, it's okay. It's all right. It's not great, but it's okay. 
Well, I guess I was kind of tainted too because I missed the first order. That's true. That's true. So how's your experience been since then? My experience has been great. I'm on my third week, I think now, and that should be coming tomorrow as we record this podcast. So I'm very delighted with the service and I'm going to continue as much as possible. So what happened in the meantime was I decided, well, I can't let you have all the fun. So I'm going to try it too and see what I think. So I went in to the website and subscribed for 12 meals of Freshly. And I knew this wasn't something I wanted to come every week. So I did end up canceling my subscription. This is just kind of a try before I decide thing. And I can go back and reactivate it anytime through the app, which, as Chris said, is very, very accessible. It's really, really nice. So it's a really nice experience. I really enjoyed the way that you can find out all the information about the meals and the ingredients and all that. I really like seeing an ingredients list. I really like knowing the macros of my meals and learning about their nutritional value, things like that. I really appreciate that. So I ended up getting 12 different meals. And unlike Chris's food, which came by a service we've never heard of until now called Lasership, mine came UPS. So I'm sure it was my local guy who I'm on a first name basis with who brought me my package yesterday. And I didn't talk to him, but I heard him leave it out on my porch. So I went out yesterday afternoon. It was about five o'clock and got my food and brought it in and it came with three layers of ice one on top one in the middle one in the bottom in this nice insulated cooler in this huge box and i got 12 meals in there as chris said they're packaged with a cardboard insert that kind of holds the box so it's a kind of a sleeve and then you have the tray inside of that so there's a cardboard sleeve that holds the tray you pull the tray out you pull some of the cellophane off you pop it in the microwave for three minutes, and then you let it stand for a little while after that, and then you can eat it. I've had two meals thus far. I have one today, one last night when my food came, and I am so far really pleased. My first meal was kind of a chicken and sunny squash pesto with rice. It was very good. I had like three pieces of rice that weren't perfectly cooked. But other than that, it was delicious. It was very flavorful. It was very good. And almost every bite I had had chicken in it. This morning, I had a baked chicken with green beans and mac and cheese. It was delicious. The chicken especially was awesome. And this was a huge chicken breast. I mean, it was crazy how big it was. The portion sizes are insane. <laughs> so it's definitely a filling meal. I am very impressed thus far. As I said, I got 12, so I have 10 more to eat, but I'm sure I will continue to enjoy them. My house still smells amazing, like I was slaving over a hot stove for two or three hours to make that yummy chicken. The mac and cheese was really good. The green beans, I've had better, but I've certainly had far, far worse, but they were flavorful, so that was a very enjoyable meal, but that chicken especially just blew my mind. It was awesome. I could eat that chicken every day. <laughs> it was great. So that's kind of the Freshly update from our end. I'm very pleased that I decided to try it. And really, if I had this food, I would only want like a smoothie or something for the rest of the day. That's all I'm going to eat for the rest of the day. Because it's like a 13-ounce meal. And it was tons of food for me. Like I am so full. Later today, I'll have myself a smoothie and that'll be the end of my food intake <laughs> for today. But it was a great experience. I had no issues whatsoever. I don't know if you mentioned this, but when I got mine, I got an email. I don't know if they're actually automated or if they're real. They're probably automated, but you can actually respond from a Freshly representative who's like, Hi, I'm Toby. I'll be your Freshly representative. And if you need anything, you can ask me a question. Just respond to this email. So that was kind of cool, too. Just, you know, somebody kind of welcoming you to Freshly. And if you have questions, you can get in touch. So while we don't know how that works because neither of us actually tried it, you have been in touch with support and you've said it was a really good experience. I actually did reply to a couple of emails. I did get the welcome message. I think mine was Megan. And I did reply to the order confirmation email. Oh or the other email that I got. And one thing I liked that we do is that all automated emails actually go back to a real email address. There's nothing worse than responding to an email that you get from a company 
and either the email address is unmonitored and they don't tell you, or the email address is just not monitored, you get a bounce back notification. Sometimes you just want to be able to respond either the order email or the ship confirm email or, or something like that to get in touch with the company. So that I did like, and, and all of the representatives, because I've been through a couple They've all been very, very pleasant to work with. And this is all through email. I've never called them. And they've been all pleasant to deal with. They took care of the issues that I had promptly. And it was a pretty good experience. One of the funny things that I did notice is that some of them, you have their first name and then their last name is Freshly. And I'm sure that all of their names are not Freshly. But it's just kind of cute because I think I had a Kim freshly and I had a, somebody else freshly and, you know, it was just kind of neat. Mm-hmm. That's cute. So thus far, we can highly recommend this as a really great option. Now, unfortunately, as we mentioned before, you do have to get a weekly delivery. But the least amount of meals you can get is what, four? Four, yes. So, you know, you don't have to buy a ton during the course of the week. But you do get a super amount of food for what you get and I don't think I've seen anything over 700 calories that's not too bad in terms of a lunch or a dinner meal you could certainly do worse than that and most of them are more like 500 calories so if you're only eating that and you know maybe one other meal you'll be perfectly fine no worries and speaking of food next time I'll be talking about a new service that I just tried that is another way to order food and pantry staples and things like that to your door it's in Washington State. I've not received my shipment yet, but I should certainly in time for the next podcast. And I will let you guys know how that experience goes and let you know about the service next time. If you like our food segments, we'll have another one next time among other goodies. But now we have a castle segment. This is with the lovely and talented Helen Kobeck, who you may remember from our holiday castle segments that we did. Helen will be discussing her book, Everyday Cruelty. This is a really insightful book. We're going to be linking to all the various places you can read it, including Bard, Bookshare, Audible, and Amazon on our show notes page for this episode. So here we go to our castle insert with Helen. Welcome to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. It is always a pleasure for me as an author to get to talk to other authors. And that is, in fact, what we're doing today. And I haven't gotten the chance to really do a lot of that on the Mystic Access podcast. So this is a particular pleasure. Today we're talking with Helen Kovic, who is the author of a wonderful book called Everyday Cruelty. And when I say the words wonderful and everyday cruelty in the same sentence, please don't think, what is she talking about? Because you will understand more (laughs) as Helen and I discuss this more thoroughly. Actually, it's kind of ironic because we were talking about a previous appearance that Helen made on the podcast and we got to talking about the book. And I didn't realize she had written a book. And so it was very exciting for me to get to read it. I always love reading other people's work. This is a very interesting and enlightening and thought-provoking topic and I hope many of you who are maybe perhaps recoiling a bit at a title called Everyday Cruelty will hang out with us and stay around and listen to what we're going to talk about because I think you may be surprised. Helen, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. Oh, thank you for having me join you both, Chris and Kim. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Our pleasure to have you. This book's called Everyday Cruelty, and it's evident when reading it that it really came out of a deep journey, both of painful experiences and of helpful and healing ways to nourish yourself afterwards. What inspired you to write it? I, like most people, have had a very deep journey, and like many people, that deep journey came from childhood. Some amount of pain is part of childhood, and it's been said that if you survive childhood, you have a lot to write about. So, but getting through my childhood, I did need to develop some creative coping strategies, and you'll find some of those strategies in the book. It's also important to note that most people 
who struggled through childhood never healed. And it's only because they don't know how to heal. We aren't taught growing up, you know, you're going to go through this and then you're going to heal from it. So we have to find our own way to finding a way of coping with it and healing. And also everybody experiences cruelty in their day-to-day lives, whether it's inadequate health care or purposefully frustrating conversations with customer service representatives. And again, not knowing how to cope with it. And lots of books go into the theory of cruelty or the theory of evil, that kind of thing. And lots of books talk about how to heal. But I wanted to bring that together. I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read. And I wanted a book out there that really looks at what cruelty is, that validates everyone's experiences and helps everyone through it to the other side. That's beautiful. And you're right in that we aren't taught how to heal. In many cases, we're taught to suppress. Stuff yeah. down. You'll get over it. Get over <laughs> yourself. Move forward. Suck it up. Whatever that was for you. It can be painful and it can be impossible in some cases to do that. And as you discuss in the book, it will lead to other things if you try to, quote, deal with it in that fashion. That can lead to devastating consequences for you and for the people who you love. Yes. So the yes. first chapter of the book is a deep dive into what everyday cruelty entails. But can you summarize it briefly for us and maybe give an illustration? Yes, of course. So I define cruelty as purposefully harming another living being, like doing something that's hurtful on purpose, not by accident, not through rudeness, but really on purpose. And when human beings are involved and are on the receiving end or on the on the producing end, that's all only humans are cruel, that or we could say that they are, that when people are on the receiving end of it, cruelty really involves trying to make the receiver of cruelty feel that it's their fault. In other words, it's working on someone, victimizing someone from within themselves. And I say that I don't know if non-human beings receive cruelty and feel that they're to blame, but I don't know that they do. So I kind of separate them out. An example would be The reality that there are telephone customer service representatives in some companies who are trained specifically on how to avoid answering callers' questions and on how to cause so much frustration that the caller might start yelling at the representative, at which point the representative has the authorization to end the call without giving the caller what they need and saying to them something like, you have been disrespectful of me, so I am releasing this call, hanging up. And if the caller is vulnerable to that game and is vulnerable to that blame, they can take it in and have no idea how to move out of it. And, and, and of course, my book, I talk about ways of helping ourselves move out of it. For example, when I am on the receiving end of anything that's cruel, and if I were on the receiving end of that kind of experience and didn't know how to deal with it in the moment, afterwards, I would speak to myself, for example, as if I were two years old, and I would interpret it to myself, I would say, (laughs) some people are very mean, some people don't want you to be happy, or they're unhappy when they go to work, and then they take it out on other people. So there's just a lot of strategies for dealing with it. But that's an example of purposeful cruelty designed to make somebody feel you made me hang up on you. Mm -hmm. It is your fault as a customer. You touched on this a second ago, and it kind of brings me to my experience and a way that I've quote in big red quotes dealt with this over time, which is dismissing it by saying, well, this person's just having a sucky day or this person's just having a bad experience and now they're taking it out on you or, you know, something to that effect and attempting to, I don't know, maybe diminish the experience a bit, even though it was incredibly painful or incredibly divisive or however it felt, you know, Mm -hmm. in that moment. Yes. How does that diminish our experience as a person who is experiencing cruelty? Oh my, yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because it is such a common thing. Human beings tend to rob each other of allowing ourselves to be aware of what's going on. It hurts us in so many ways. One thing it does is we do need to know what we experience in order to heal what we're experiencing. So to use a physical example, if we have a stomach ache, how we address it is different if it's caused by an ulcer versus if it's caused by cancer. So we do need to know if it's cruelty, it has a different feel and we need for there to be a different response versus somebody just being rude to us, however painful it can be. 
It also harms us because it leaves us alone with the experience. It isolates us within ourselves. And one of the key things to healing cruelty's effects is knowing it's not our fault, that the cause is external to us. That's a lot of how all kinds of healing happens, is we learn that the cause of our suffering is external to us. The initial cause of it is outside of us. It also diminishes the experience of us by telling us that we're overreacting and misinterpreting what's been done. So it interferes with our understanding what we might call the energy of the experience. Because cruelty isn't just about the technicalities of what was done. It's really about the intention and the feel of it. And we do know this inside of ourselves intrinsically. So if you are walking along and you trip and break your wrist because somebody has purposefully put their foot out in front of you and then they laugh at you when you go down and show glee at your injury and do not help you, that's a really different experience inwardly than if you just are walking along and you trip and you break your wrist and you have the same effects and that kind of thing. But it's a very different experience if you've just tripped than if somebody has gone after you and caused you to feel lesser, to feel expendable, just to be harmed in that really deep way. Another way that it hurts to have the cruelty dismissed is it hurts everyone. Cruelty is such a common way unhappy people have of dealing with their unhappiness. And if we can't talk about the actions of unhappy people as purposefully cruel, we leave them alone with that motivation. And that's hard on them. They don't have a push to stop. They don't have a push to heal. They don't have an opportunity to learn to deal with their own suffering in a better way. And that's a great point about the the Mm -hmm. person who is the bully or the cruel one or the person who is instigating in many ways. If they are left with it, the cycle continues round and round over and over again. And I think it does. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all had these types of experiences, maybe some less than others, and some you could even think. I remember our, what happened on this day with this specific individual, and, and I've always said, too, that having a disability, no matter what it is, when you are in grade school and high school, those are probably the toughest years that you're mm-hmm. going to have to deal with that mm-hmm. type of behavior. It certainly can yeah. be. And it's so easy to say, well, that person's just ignorant or that person just doesn't understand. But it isn't a useful way to counteract that at all. It's not. It makes us suffer more when we're on the receiving end of it. And I actually have a close friend who has a very cruel streak. And I've known her for many years, more like a decade. And finally, I said, you know what? You have a really cruel streak to you. What is going on? I'm not wanting to be on the receiving end of it. Many, many people had noticed it, come to find out, Mm -hmm. as she spoke of it a little bit. But nobody had before been able to approach her and say, I'm concerned about how you're alienating people. And through that process, which has been now unfolding for about a year in our very loving friendship, she's been able to start looking at it. I still protect myself because the cruel streak pops up. But at least someone cared about her richly and deeply enough to be able to say, this isn't okay. I'm worried about you. But I was somebody who was strong enough to know that it wasn't about me. I'd been able to externalize what I experienced from her well enough to be able to say, you're doing something that you really shouldn't be doing and what is going on. Yeah. And that can be hard, but it can also be so tremendously healing both for you and for her. So yes. a tremendous gift that you're giving her in some sense when she's willing to take that and experience that. She's working on it. She's, you know, doesn't deny it quite as fast. And, <laughs> and she's getting support that she needs. I do my best to be tender with her about it. She wasn't born to do that. It comes from someplace that was given to her. There's an interesting passage or an interesting concept that you introduce near the beginning of the book. And I'm hoping you'll speak to that a bit. Mm-hmm. What is the relationship you feel between cruelty and truth? That is an important distinction. So let's first define what truth is. Uh, basically, it's what is real. 
there's a really common expression you probably heard people say, we want to hear your truth. You must speak your truth as if Mm -hmm. truth is relativistic. And in some ways, okay, you know, some ways truth is relativistic and there's, you know, we need to meet somewhere in between or think about something. But basically there is a reality. There is stuff that happens. So the connection between dealing with cruelty and dealing with truth, which is I think what you were asking about is if we, again, going back to, we need to know what the truth is in order for us to deal with it. If we know what's really happening, we are able to approach it in the best way we possibly can. And again, looking at if we have stomach pain, if it's an ulcer, we deal with it one way. And if it's cancer, we deal with some other way. And if it's cruelty, we deal with it in one way versus if it's just rudeness, we deal with it in a completely different way. So there are many things that can feel quite cruel and feel just awful or be physically harmful even, or just, you know, play with our heads in some way, but it's not purposeful. And the example that I love to give is I was walking down the street, maybe 15 years ago, and walked by a man who was standing outside of a restaurant. And as I walked by, he turned his head to me and spat in my face. He let go a bolus of ugh that landed right in my left eye. And I thought, ugh. And my instinct was to run. So I ran. I just ran. He followed me. He ran after me. And I sped up. This happened like over a couple, like over a block and a half. I was running away from him. He was chasing me. I was running. I sped up. He sped up. And then he overtook me. And he ran in front of me and stopped. And he put his hands on my shoulders. He looked me in the eye and he said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I wasn't looking at where I was spitting. And I am really, really, he was so serious. He was like, couldn't have been more serious. Mm. And he said, and I looked at him and I was wiping, I, cause I stopped and I was wiping his spit out of my face and out of my eye. Um, And then I saw, I was kind of like doing that. And he said to me, he said, do you believe me? And I said, yes, I do. And he needed to know that. So that's like the most profound experience that I have had in my waking life is that. And he needed to know I believed him. And then we looked at each other and just started to cackle with laughter, kind of like, this was really (laughs) gross. But it's okay. And we both had a traumatic experience that we shared. And now we can get on. And I still see him sometimes. And this is a long time ago. And we still recognize each other. And he says, oh, yeah. And I recognize his voice and I'm like, hi. So <laughs> it was, um, <laughs> if you have a bad experience with somebody, there is a way in which you can enjoy the healing of it together. Both if it's cruel, if it, if you, it works well, then you can do that. If it's not cruel, if it's just weird, then that helps too. Well, if you think about it, him chasing you could have gone many ways. Yeah. But if he didn't chase you, then he would have never known that you forgave him or whatever. Yeah. And you could have thought he was just being complete something or other. And mm-hmm. it would have harmed you you too. Like, why is this person doing what he did and you didn't know? So there's closure between the two. Yes. And like you said, you guys bump into each other every so often. So, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I was afraid. I was like, okay, he spat on me. Now he's chasing me. So I'm going to run run faster. He's running faster. Oh, no. And I'm grateful that he took off. I think he was the owner of a restaurant. He shouldn't have left his restaurant open like that. But it mattered to him enough that he would catch me. And he touched me to stop me, but also to steady me mm-hmm. so he could look me so solidly in the eye and say, I am terribly sorry. It was beautiful, actually. It was just one of my warmest moments of memory. I mm. love the way you laid out this book. The chapters are such beautiful stepping stones for people to be introduced to and to understand the concept and, of course, to use this as a reference work, which, mm-hmm. of course, you most certainly can. Clearly, there's a lot of thought that went into that layout and that design. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about how you laid this book out? Yes, sure. Thank you. The book is what's called a slim volume, which is under 200 pages. So it's a small book and there's just a lot packed in there. So I did need to think about the layout 
that would be most conducive to get people to go through it effectively and most helpfully. So the first chapter is basically a definition of what everyday cruelty is, what the facets of it are, what it looks like a little bit. I do that so the readers know what we're talking about as they are making their way through the book and through the healing and strengthening process. So that's the first chapter is what is everyday cruelty? Then we go on from there to chapter two to how it affects us in body, mind, emotions, spirit, and behavior. So I divide it out into kind of, this is what happens if you experience cruelty on a physical level, mostly, this is what happens for your adrenals. You might sweat a lot. You might have trouble sleeping, you know, that type of thing. Or if you experience as an emotional thing, you might just feel very distressed or despairing or bitter, that kind of thing. It defines in each of those five different ways how it is that we might experience cruelty so that we recognize it when we're experiencing it in part. So if someone says, oh, he didn't mean anything by it, you say, yes, he did. My heart is racing or something like that. Yeah. Or you, you, even, if, even if you say it to yourself. So this is the proof, you know, I'm, you know, really angry and I'm not usually really angry, that kind of thing. The third chapter goes into the characteristics of everyday cruelty that make it so hard for us to shake on. You know, we hear people say, oh, just get over it. You know, even if it was cruel, really not that big of a deal, just let it go. And this chapter goes into like 43 or 44 distinct characteristics of everyday cruelty that make it hard for us to shake. And I generated like 150 characteristics and then whittled it down for the book to the like the lead 45 or 42 or so that are so potent. Why is it so hard? Something like that it's done from within us so that we f- do feel responsible. And they're, they, a cruelty perpetrator wants us to feel responsible so we don't fight back and we don't go after them and, and confront them about it. So that's chapter three. And chapter four is the relief. That's where I have hundreds of tested by me or ideas that other people have gave me when I interviewed people for this book about how to deal with everyday cruelty. So, and this is the treat. So if someone holds on for the first three chapters, which can be hard, then this gives them hope. This is what gives them hope for, you know, getting through the rest of their lives with the experience of cruelty. And then, then there's the last chapter, which is how to help others deal with cruelty, which some people who've written to me have said, oh, this is about how to create community. You know, you listen to people, you don't, there's, a, there's a weird little suggestions like, you know, don't tell someone I'm sorry mm-hmm. that happened to you. I, I suggest language like it's terrible that that was done to you because cruelty doesn't just happen randomly it is it is produced Mm -hmm. so that's the layout of the book and then there's a bibliography and such yeah sometimes we do have to be so conscious of well i would say sometimes most of the time all the time we have to be Mm -hmm. conscious of how we language things how we experiencing things i had a conversation with a friend once who had sent a card to the husband of a teacher of hers who was very beloved by her and who had passed and Mm. she sent him a card and said i am so sorry and she's in a better place and Mm -hmm. something and he never spoke to her again Mm -hmm. this husband Mm -hmm. and it's just an example that i think about sometimes and while i know her heart was coming from a place of kindness i wouldn't consider it an act of cruelty Mm-mm. It's clearly something that he felt truly wounded by or truly offended by to a degree where mm-hmm. it completely changed that relationship. So like, mm. this is an example of how languaging can be oh, yeah. so hugely important. Oh, absolutely. And we can all let things slip. If I injure somebody, if I harm somebody and say something I shouldn't have, and then they speak to me about it and say blah, blah, blah. There's occasion where I'll say, I'm sorry you feel that way. And then I catch it and I think that's a terrible thing to say (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're not just feeling that way. It is something I did. And I'll say, I'm sorry I did that to you. I really regret it. You didn't deserve it. It was coming from me. What do you need to hear from me in order to heal this? You know, just get humble with that person. It's hard. Yes. Yes, it's very hard. Sometimes we want to speak 
directly from our personal experience and that doesn't yes. necessarily heal everybody else and sometimes it does damage to the other person so it do does. be so careful we do i think it was simone weil uh the survivor of the holocaust who said the love of your neighbor in all its fullness simply means being able to ask what are you going through but then you have to be willing to hear what they're going through. So the man who spat in my face and then ran after me, he took a risk yep. to yes. find out, am I going to forgive him? Am I going to let him in? Am I going to wallop him? Am I going to cry and then he's going to have to take care of me? So it was beautiful that he took that risk. As some of you know, or most of you know by now, Kim and I have written books collaboratively for National Braille Press. And... Mm -hmm. This is the first time that I personally have ever talked to somebody who is a, was an author that wasn't in the quote-unquote blindness community, if you will, where National Braille Press actually is. And so my question is, what formats are the book in, and was it hard to do? Was it hard to, to put to, it into those different in, formats? Into different formats in the publishing, yes. It's in every format that I could make it into, reasonably well, I think. It is in print format, standard print, and I chose to do it in 12-point font, not that tiny little 6.5 font. Right. <laughs> so it's reasonable standard print. It is in large print, which is in 16-point font. I set the sale price at the same for the large print and the standard print because I don't want us to have to pay more for something because we are vision impaired. So large print copy, it's in Kindle, which is uh, you know available through Amazon. It is on Audible with the narrator, Juliet Jones. It's also available on Bard. So I asked Perkins Library, the local recording studio, to consider recording my book, and they did. That was a number of years ago. And through that recording, it came up as available both as recording borrowable from Perkins and then from Bard, it went up on Bard. It's available also as a hard copy Braille borrowable from Perkins Library. If someone wants to buy a Braille copy to have permanently, then I can order it and attach a Braille note to it as an inscription to them personally, and I can send it to them. It's also available on Bookshare. So it's a Braille Reddit BRF file through Bookshare. And it's also formatted as a DAISY file on Bookshare. So people who have some vision are able to use it, you know, with expanded visual and, and on audio in that way. So I think that covers all the formats. Bookshare was probably the most, was, was a little bit challenging. And I had a, a wonderful, wonderful woman named Ann Parsons who helped me tremendously through the blindness community to do the layout of it and to mark it up. She taught me how to do it and she did some of it too, as I recall. If you don't do the layout for Bookshare really well, it ends up as like one page. <laughs> oh yeah, the daisy. One long, yeah. Yep. yep. One long page and then you'll be like, you're reading it along and it says cruelty is what 235 and it reads the page number or something like that so it bumps it in there it's a bit awkward so the the layout of it that was challenging and i did a few incarnations of that with bookshare and they were very helpful but that was probably the hardest and the braille ready file i just you know read it after it was done and saw that it was fine and so and they had proofreaders of course at perkins to check it so that was you know, that was um, not hard. You know, beyond that, it was, you know, fairly easy to do the other things. The Kindle, I also had somebody from Amazon who blessedly helped me figure out the, the layout for the Kindle. So I just gave it to them and they laid it out for me. I don't know why they did that. It was so nice because otherwise it would have been pretty complicated for me to do. So I had a lot of help along the way and had cited editors and cited people to do this for me. This is self-published, by the way, the book itself. And the whole title of it is Everyday Cruelty, How to Deal with Its Effects Without Denial, Bitterness, or Despair. In our recently released Amazon Fire tablet tutorial, it makes mm -hmm. it about a minute or so appearance in nice our cameo. tutorial. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Oh, wow. They get to hear <laughs> Juliet. <laughs> Oh, isn't that nice? I will let Juliet know that because I'm sure she doesn't. I'll, I'll email her tonight. She'll be so pleased. 
to get this book up, I had to get permissions from a lot of places. And I think I originally pursued like a hundred permissions for mm. quoting things, you know, Ailey Wiesel, like yes. two sentences from something. And I had to go after permissions for, there's maybe 20 permissions in this current book. It was a lot longer before I chopped it down. You had to go after permissions and they were very expensive for some of them. And, yeah. and for just, you'd think that they would want this to be just kind of here, this will promote your book and this will promote your newspaper, your this or that, but no, the lawyers are very clear. You talked about chapter four, and I think this was on recording when you said chapter four is essentially the hope after reading the previous three chapters. And I really mm -hmm. love that. I think that's a very apt description of what it is mm -hmm. because there is mm -hmm. a real treasure trove of information in chapter four. Mm. Would you share maybe just one or two of the hundreds of tips that are available in that chapter to kind of if, if someone's listening thinking I can relate to this I've experienced this I feel like I'm being heard virtually because someone's talking about this yeah the way it's laid out is in the same order from the earlier chapter where I talk about if you experience it in body mind emotions spirit and behavior so the, but the chapters are entitled, you know, have encouraging wording like comfort and strengthen our bodies and calm and reclaim our minds. I think the physical chapter, the comfort and strengthen our bodies has more suggestions just because more people experience it that way. Oh, there's so many things like hugging a tree, like actually being with a tree physically on a regular basis or even just after experiencing cruelty and kind of wrapping yourself around it and recognizing that this tree has experienced so much garbage. <laughs> it experiences wind and tattooing and scraping and storms and, and woodpeckers. Has parts of woodpeckers, yeah. It, and it stays put and it heals itself. And it has a history, hundreds of years sometimes of history. There is a way one can absorb the strength of a tree to get through. Something that I started doing when I was little and I put it into my physical strategies. So I had a rough childhood, I did. And when I came home from school, I would go into my room and I would take out, I would have a little plastic baggie and I would fill it with water from the bathroom and I would take a little Dixie cup and poke holes in it and I would lie in bed. So I'd be like eight years old, I was latchkey. And I would lie in bed, I would tape the, the ivy bag to, I would, this, this was what's ahead of it, I would tape the bag to the wall and I would put the, pla the little Dixie cup on my mouth and I would pretend that that plastic bag was an ivy and I would pretend that the, the, the Dixie cup over my mouth was oxygen and I would lie there and be nurtured in an intensive care unit. And the reality is that what the mind invents, the body doesn't know is not real. So if we imagine something and think about it and create it in our minds, then we have a very good shot at believing that that is actually happening, that our body really feels that it's happening. So I was nurtured by that. So what I still do sometimes, I don't have the IV bag around and, and I don't have the booksy cup, but if I'm walking down the street with my cane and someone tries to trip me or you know, do those occasional things that, you know, we experience as blind people, you know, I'll be walking along and in my mind, I'll compartmentalize it a little bit, or I'll sit on a bench and I'll go into an, like a room where there's an IV nurse, say her name might be Jill. <laughs> and I'll walk in there and say, Jill, I need, and this is one of the strategies in the book, I need an IV of evil lace. There's a drip that I invented that I use in, inside of this called evilase. And, and the ACE part is something you might have heard of amylase or protease. It's an enzyme that catalyzes or dissolves or breaks down either a protein or a carbohydrate or a fat or something like that, or lactase breaks down milk stuff. I invented it in my mind to be something that catalyzes or breaks down the evil that is running through my body. And I just sit there with that in my mind, imagining having a drip. If I need a little bit of something that makes me feel like it's real, I might pinch my arm a little bit <laughs> and have Jill in my mind saying, okay, here the needle goes in, it's a bit of a pinch. And I'll go through the whole thing of kind of, okay, now it's going in and I will feel better. I will just feel better. 
we must be really in sync today because that was the exact tip that I was thinking about going, that is one of my favorites. I love oh. that story. That was, that was, just, that was so wow, cool. That's, that's the one that sweet. you picked to share. <laughs> oh, thank you. There's so many. There's the idea from the cognitive section because we all get hurt by people and then we, we ruminate about it. We walk around every, you know, throughout the day. This person did this. I can't believe. I mean, and it distracts you and it upsets you. And, and one good cognitive thing is to create a specific period of time where you set a clock and you say, I will be upset about this for 10 minutes and I'm not allowed to do anything but be upset. I can't do my laundry. I can't think about happy things. I can only think miserable, really angry, how to take revenge. And then when the, the timer goes off, you are not allowed to do it again. Mm. And then you can think, okay, I will have another time later on where it's another 10 minutes, but limiting the cognitive obsession, so to speak, about it, which is natural to do, to be think about things a lot. I don't really like using the word obsession, but those are the two most potent things that I use for myself. And when I get letters from readers from all over the place, some people are in prison who write to me and say they use this book as a way to get through prison life. Those are two of the ones also that they feel most in relation to that help them cope. For those that know me, well, if you don't know me, you can know You haven't been listening very me. well if you don't know Chris by now, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> when I read a book, I my high preference is for human narration. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious regarding the audible narration how does that work does audible do anything do you do a narrator search like i want to find a narrator that's going to fit with the book yeah you do i thought to myself that i really wanted to narrate my own book because i heard from readers that that's what their preference would have been but my my vision impairment makes me read print at about six words a minute and i'm a recent braille reader learner so i only read braille at about maybe a hundred words a minute and that's just not me. enough. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs> but it's not 150 words a minute, which is what you need to really do a narration. So I thought I have to just find someone from for Audible. So you, yes, you, you choose a sample, like a good representation sample. For me, I chose segments, a segment that included the voice of a child, where it, there was a talk between an adult and a child in my book of like what it means to experience something bad and how the adult talks to the child. So I wanted to put in a segment that gave any narrator an opportunity to produce the voice of a child, but not ridiculously so. So I chose a sample and then yes, put it up for auditions. And narrators on Audible flip through the titles and look at the segment that you're offering and decide if they want to try out for it and an audition for it. Then they choose automatically. They decide, yes, I'm going to do this. And then without contacting you, you start getting in your inbox through the Audible location because you've opened up an Audible account that you start saying, you have an audition from this person. You have an audition from that person. You have an audition from this person. And you just start racking them up and you start listening to them. They're like 10 not even like five minute segments. You just start listening to them. I had put in there very specifically that I wanted somebody very specifically. I wanted someone with a standard American English accent. So someone <laughs> who sounded like me as much like stores, Connecticut, right around there. <laughs> and cause you can pick, you can check things off. I want a Brit. I want Haitian Creole. You can choose like from lots and lots of things. So I put that in specifically and I got, I don't know, probably a couple of hundred auditions from people who sounded like me. And then I got this one from very nervy Juliet Jones, <laughs> where she has a South African accent. But I was like, oh my God, she is my narrator because she handled the material so calmly and with such warmth. And I knew that if someone was going to listen to this book, they would need someone who would sound comforting, who would say to them, you can do this. It's okay. What you're feeling is real. That they would get that in a, not in a soupy way, but in a warm way, reassuring. And when people put up reviews on Audible, they may not say that the book is that great. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the reviews are very good. But consistently, they say that her rendition, her narrating of it is what 
gives them comfort. They also may have the, the print book, but then they go back and forth sometimes listening to it because they need that comfort. And she does that. So I totally was surprised myself by choosing someone with a South African accent, but it was really the tenderness of her voice that I, frankly, I just, I didn't hear it from enough of the other narrators. It wasn't what I wanted in the book. I wanted comfort. I told Helen, I thought Juliet sounded like a s'more. And who doesn't love s'mores? <laughs> she does. <laughs> She'll be delighted to hear that. Please, Yes, please tell her that for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll write a review too and say she sounds like a s'more. And I'm sure oh. she'll take that the way I mean it. <laughs> oh, she totally, she and I are friends. We became friends and, and she would totally love that. She's just a, a she's a, she is a s'more. She's lovely and wonderful. Sometimes a narrator can make or break a book. You could have the best book, highly rated book in the world, but the narrator is just awful and you can't get through the narrator. I know. And you can do the same. The narrator can actually make a dull book pretty good. So I've had that experience as well. That's true. And I did take some of the voices, many of them, including Juliet's, and ran them by trusted advisors, friends, people, various mm -hmm. people. How would you feel about these various narrations? So just to make sure, just like I did when I was choosing the title of the book and when I was choosing the cover of the book, I ran it by a ton of people to make sure it wasn't going to be ruinous. So we've had a wonderful and reaching discussion about your book. And I want to ask what one message you may want to share with someone who, after listening to our discussion, has just realized that he or she is experiencing this and maybe didn't even know it. Can I offer two messages? Was that, would that Please. be okay? You can okay, offer as course. many as you want. <laughs> <laughs> two, is, two is helpful. One is that your reaction to everyday cruelty, no matter how powerful it is, no matter what somebody says to you about it, no matter how strong or how long lasting it is, even if it's 80 years later, I've heard from people who were bullied 40 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, that no matter how long it lasts and how awful, that reaction is natural in the face of the injustice of cruelty. It is totally natural. It shows a level of dignity that you feel roughed up, that you know you've been roughed up. And then the other message is that you can handle cruelty. You can handle it without having to pretend it's not real, without becoming bitter or nasty and without despairing or suiciding or harming yourself one way or another that it's dealable with. It's not going to be dealable with the same way all the time. In the book, I say very clearly, just because you read this book and you get some skills under your belt doesn't mean you're always going to be okay with it. Sometimes you will do really well and sometimes you will fall apart and be unskilled and embarrassed by it and things like that. But there is a way to the other side and we're all experiencing this every day. We're in a huge community of people who are struggling with this. So it's real and you can handle it. This sort of ties in with it. This book was, there is a whole other book in my basement that's twice as long. It's called Everyday Evil. And when I was writing this book, I, well, I first interviewed dozens and dozens of people on the topic of evil. And I wrote the book and then I felt that it was too heady and too intellectual and that the concept of evil is so nondescript and it's just hard to identify. So I decided to chop it up right in a different voice with a different layout and make it about the mortal manifestation of evil, which is cruelty. But I do want listeners to this and readers to know that when we experience cruelty, it's fine for us to consider it to be an actually evil experience. Mm that there is someone who really wants to hurt us and wants us to feel it's our fault. So if the concept or the feeling, the gut, the esoteric experience of evil is what comes to you, then claim that. The idea of this book was to say, here are some skills to deal with it. But it, it was, when I was interviewing people about the idea of evil, everybody had some really intense things to say about it. It was just harder for them to relate to a little bit. It was just harder for them to relate to and easier to relate to the mortal experience of cruelty because everyone at every, every, of every age knows and believes that cruelty exists. But even when I interviewed people about evil, one of the questions was, do you believe that evil exists? Well, no, I'm not sure. But then they'd go on to talk about really evil experiences. Right. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, here we go. 
yeah. thank you so much for spending your time and sharing with us and putting this wonderful experience or this this way to heal or this piece of nourishment multiple pieces of nourishment out into the world for people to assist mm -hmm. them with their own struggles it's so mm -hmm. so valid and so appreciated well thank you kim and thank you chris and thank you for the opportunity to to contemplate it and to talk about it and for being part of the world that lifts it up and shines a light on it because that's how we heal yes. yep absolutely Indeed. thank you Thank you very much. Thank you for your visit to the Mystic Access Magic Castle. You're welcome anytime. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we shall see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. The preceding podcast is a presentation of Mystic Access, where the magic is in learning. If you are blind or visually impaired and desire to discover how our comprehensive products and services may support and empower your assistive technology journey, we welcome your visit at www.mysticaccess.com. Have a question or wish to place an order via phone? Call us at 716-543-3323. If you have something to share about this podcast episode, press 4 to reach our Mystic Access podcast comment line. Email us at info at mysticaccess.com. Connect with us on Twitter at twitter.com slash mysticaccess and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mysticaccessempower. Would you like to spread the word about our podcasts? Your friends and colleagues may listen and subscribe at www.mysticaccesspodcast.com. If you enjoy our episodes, consider leaving us an iTunes rating and review. Your comments are greatly appreciated. Thanks for spreading the word, and thanks for being a listener. We hope you enjoyed this episode.